Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This premier independent fan experience podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and brings you honest and in-depth Montreal Canadiens discussion and entertainment. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudney are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. And welcome to Habs Unfiltered, episode 185. I'm your host, Blaine Pudvang. I'm joined now by my co-host, Treg Wilson. Good morning. Matt Smith. Morning. And we have a special guest this episode. Jason Paul joins us today. Hello, hello. We're really happy to have you on board today. Um, We've been trying to get you for a little while. I understand you've been fairly busy on the outside of the hockey world, so... happy you're giving us a few minutes of your time today super pleasure to be with you guys uh i was on i don't know maybe six months ago or last year or whatever yeah really enjoy talking to you guys so thanks for having me you're one of the few that does so we'll always ask you back (laughs) (laughs) my agent said i had to say that so we did pay extra (laughs) uh so this episode uh we're in the last couple episodes, we've kind of talked a little bit about player development and empl- uh, deployment, and we uh, we wanted to continue that discussion, but we wanted more of a an analytic point of view because I find that a lot of people go with that eye test, and then there's another group that does just analytics, but we tend here to try and bridge that gap and kind of merge the two to have a more realistic view, so... That's why we bring it because you can actually do that. Yeah. You bridge. You're Fantastic. our bridge. I, tr- I try to get in that space and I'm glad that you guys uh, see me that way. So hopefully I can chat it up this uh, episode to see what we can dig up in the numbers. Well, it helps that you have some gray in your beard to match the rest of us. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, we're the same Except vintage. Matt. That's why we like each other, right? <laughs> Except That's Matt, what... he has no gray in his beard. He's the, but he's like, he's the Adonis of the episode. So he, he's our he's our token millennial yeah yeah the rest is all gen x being all <laughs> latchkey and sad he doesn't even remember saku koivu that's just so bad <laughs> i remember saku koivu <laughs> his dad told him stories yeah. <laughs> uh all right he was so... a good defenseman yeah, yeah very much so yeah. <laughs> at least yeah. analytically yeah. Like we had before we got on uh, got on air for this episode, we had to explain to Matt the importance of the hot rod T-shirt that Treg's wearing. Yes, I knew about that too. There, there wouldn't be a WWF without hot rod. Yeah, he was the greatest uh, greatest member of the uh, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling cartoon. You need to do a little bit more inclines to fill that out, and a little bit more on the belly too. Oh, right? you gotta add oh. both. No, I'm just oh. saying if you the rod, Roddy Piper, man, big, you know, big pecs and big gut, right? That's true. That's true. I don't have the big gut. My pecs I got are getting it. there, though. <laughs> I got it. I'm good. 
Now, now, right. now, some, now I'm just going to do this because now I'm more conscious. <laughs> so we got a jab in about my age. Got a jab in about his lack of guts. Okay. <laughs> wow. Blaine, you're we, made fu- we made fun of how old we look too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Blaine, Blaine uh, pays the bill, so uh, I'm not going to make fun of him. That's, That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I paid his agent, so I'm yeah. safe. Yeah, I just work. I just work here. So for this episode, like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the player development issues, some uh, player deployment. So why don't we just uh, dive right into it? Um, One of the interesting points that has come up recently with the Canadians, obviously, because Kotkaniemi has decided to uh, take off, has been how he developed. And Jason, you, you came up with a really, really interesting tweet. Uh, I believe the day after it happened and mentioned how all these points can be true. And I'm just going to read it off and we'll go from there. One, KK has potential to be very good. Two, Habs are better in the near term. Three, MB did well, uh, Bergevin did well in the micro. Four, Bergevin did poorly in the macro. And five, there are a lot of good things we don't know. So, you kind of you laid out basically what we have talked about in the in past episodes. So we want to bring you on so we can kind of walk through this a little bit. And we'll start with that first point where Kotkaniemi has the potential to be very good. Yeah, I mean, um, I really like Bergevin's um, uh, conference because he kind of alluded to this. I mean, I think the main point here is that Kotkaniemi still has potential even if they messed him up all the way up to this point, he still has potential to be very good, my opinion. And I think a lot of people think that as well. And where Bergevin and the Habs failed, in my opinion, is they didn't leave enough track to see whether that was going to happen. So just in, the, in that piece there, in my opinion, it's a failure. And I think all Habs fans, even if you love Bergevin, <laughs> I think it's easy to admit that. And he admitted it himself in his conference when... Uh, I think it was Arpon uh, Basu. He said, you know, like if you, you know, could do it again or something like that, you know, would you do it? Did you, did you want to lose him now? And of course the answer is, of course we didn't want to lose him now. So then, then you can make the, the connection that they must've done something wrong to lose him that quickly. Right. So that's what I think. The fail here is that they didn't finish the job in the sense that they would have loved to have him at least for another year to see what he's got. Now, rushing him obviously has been the big argument with his, uh, his development. Um, Is there anything that you can point to that could state that, yeah, they, they screwed up his development and here's a couple of reasons that you think why? Yeah. I mean, I think um, they really needed that. When the time that they drafted him, they needed a center. Everybody wants a center. This is why you see the numbers show that in the first round and the second round, centers go and defensemen go. You don't see centers go in the third and fourth round because nobody wants to draft. A, you don't draft a fourth line center, right? You draft a guy you think is going to be a first line center, and then he ends up being a fourth line center. So you, that, everybody wants a center. So where did they mess up here? They messed up. I think that they saw on the first camp night that he could fill a spot on the team. And, and Trej, I know you guys read my articles there, that one with uh, Kakenyemi, the curious case of Kakenyemi. And the thing that I try to, to, to say to the casual person on Twitter, a casual hockey fan, is that a team is structured and they have a spot for a veteran, they have a spot for a penalty killer, they have a spot for a power play. And when those spots get taken up, they get taken up. So the Habs back then, they had a spot open for a young center who they could isolate and give good minutes to. And then what I think happened is down the line, that spot evaporated. You ended up getting Suzuki who could fill that spot better. And then, so now you had uh, a Kakinemi floundering. They didn't have a spot for him. He was not the defensive first forward. He was not the power play juggernaut that they needed to have on the bench for the power play. He was not the offensive dynamo on five on five that they can put out there. So they just didn't have a spot for him. 
it's, and then your <clears throat> you, you, your your uh, development fails there, right? How much of that do you place on the player, and how much do you place on the management and development team? That's a great question, and I I do put a lot on Kakanyemi because if you look at last season, I I argue that Suzuki took Kakanyemi's spot. People don't want to hear that, but this is professional sports. That's what happens. He's more predictable defensively, you know, and coaches love that. Kakanyemi is not predictable on the ice, so coaches don't like that. Even if you end up statistically, and here's your advanced stats thing. If at the end of the season, they both have the same stats, my argument is the one that's a predictable player is the one that's going to get the ice. The one that got those points and statistics through unpredictable means is not going to be the love child of the, uh, of the coaches, right? So Kakanyemi did fail. There was a time when he lost that spot, that offensive spot that Suzuki took. And then he should have carved out the defensive spot. Even if it was the fourth line Jake Evans spot, he should have looked at that spot and said, that's the one I want to take. And I'm going to be super tight defensively and play hard defensively. And I just feel like he didn't. And it happens a lot with first rounders, right? They think from Guillaume Latendresse to anybody, when you're told you're the offensive dynamo first rounder, that's what you try to achieve. But I think himself, his camp, and I'm sure the coaches were pushing it. They needed to see his defensive play and responsibility first, and he was just not producing that. Stephen Waite also mentioned that Kakiemi's development. Uh, Stephen, there's an interview with Stephen Waite afterwards, and he mentioned that uh, Kakiemi thought he was better than what he was at times, and it was hard to put him in a spot where the coaches wanted him because he felt he should have been in a different spot. How much of that is true? Because you're only getting the, the the one side of the story there. But now looking back on it, because I was a huge cake Cotton Emmy support, supporter, like I, I and I still am. I still I still hope he does well. <clears throat> but now looking back, I can kind of see a little bit of that. Like when he raised the four fingers of the playoffs after he scored the goal, and they, you know, I can see that. You know, I maybe he did think he was a little bit. You know, I should be the second line center. Why am I still playing on the third line type guy? Maybe that affected some of his play. Because let's be honest, he played well in in in, in bursts. And, you know, ten game segment played great. Still didn't. I mean, you you alluded in your article that Ducharme was trying to get his offense better because he's putting him in more offensive uh, situations than what he was getting before when he when he wasn't slumping. So. It's not like the coaching staff was holding him back or not, or I mean, he did go through a blender of wingers, but it's not like they weren't putting him in positions where he couldn't succeed. And I think maybe Stephen Wake kind of, you know, revealed to people that maybe Cotton Emmy wasn't the happy-go-lucky, I'll do anything you ask me to do type type player. Again, that's just one side of the story. So, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was my last point there on that, on that tweet, yeah. which is there's so much we don't know. I mean, you hear stories of teams not drafting people in the draft just because they don't feel right with their attitude or whatever. And I'm not saying that Kakinami had a bad attitude. I'm just saying there's so much we don't know, you know, in that relationship realm where obviously they felt more comfortable letting him go because they weren't, they weren't seeing the production there for sure. Or the attitude or, or what to go with uh, what they needed. But I still, I'm still on the, on the side of, I think, the Habs really messed it up. I really do. And I think it's more on Bergevin than the coaching staff because the coaching staff, they had to deal with this player who maybe wasn't ready. It was, it was more management and the development side who, who let them come in. They should have, even if he, even if they thought he was going to be a good player in year one, they should have been a bit more mature and say, this is not Christmas. And I, I can't wait to unwrap my gift. Like they should have let him stew for sure uh, overseas in uh, Finland. In my opinion. Now, <clears throat> on the coaching staff, uh, they're the ones that decide uh, deployment and line mates. And you went into a pretty, pretty in-depth view of his line mates and the deployment thereof. So can you walk us through a little bit of what you broke down about his line mates? Yeah, I really enjoyed doing that research, and I uh, saw that uh, Sarah Sivin used it in her uh, in her article a bit for research. And uh, who who's this? And it, 
<laughs> yeah, the Carolina. She's great. She's great online there. And uh, she's pumped some of my stuff in the past. So I really enjoy um, when she does that. So, yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed it because as a, as a fan, you're watching. Uh, that's where you can really put the, the data to the eye test because you hear all these things. And I, and, and I watch every ship. Like I watch and I watch it through an analytical lens as well. But I still don't catch up on the bigger sways that the data can tell you, right? And um, yeah, the article, um, basically the conclusion of my article was the Habs are not like, like they're not the offensive team, like uh, the Hurricanes, or not the Hurricanes, but the Hurricanes you can use them as an example, but the Abs, for example, Colorado, they are the team that is going to be the Rocky Balboa. I'm going to take some punches and then I'm going to counter. Right. And so when you have a team like that, as you guys know, and I think it's really interesting because their history is kind of a lot like that with Ganey and Carboneau is their first priority is to have a very, very strong defensive line that can take the brunt of the other team's best line. That is Deneau, right? And they came through the season pretty rough, but then they use that so well in the playoffs. And so their number, as a coach, when they're, this is my opinion, what I see from the coaching is that that is their number one priority. If we're building a team, I want that line that can go up against Matthews and those guys. Unless you have somebody better than Matthews, then you can be more offensive, right? But they can't. So they have Deneau. So then the next priority is they want a counterpunch, right? So if Deneau is taking the brunt of the defensive zone against the other team's uh, best line, then you want a counterpunch with a, with a line that's going to score against their other lines. And then your next... Um, opportunity is you might have a slot for sheltering somebody right but if you were sheltering or in line that means you're taking away from your that that sucker punch line right so you got the dono line and suzuki is clearly the sucker punch line that they want to get out with the best in the best scenario right which could be offensive face-offs could be against the other team's fourth line but you take away from that line if you have another line that you don't trust defensively, which is, unfortunately, the Kakinemi line, right? Whatever, whatever line Kakinemi has been on, clearly they don't trust it and they deploy it as an isolated line against the team's wor- other team's worth, worst uh, lines and offensively in the offensive zone. And then you have Jake Evans, right? So it's like a mini Deneau line. So that's how I wrote the article. And then I kind of pitted it against you know, that Suzuki kind of took that good deployment from Kakenyemi. And, uh, and when it ran through the numbers, I'm a huge Suzuki fan. When you run through the numbers, it's there. It, it, it also proves that Suzuki has the stronger D numbers and he also has the stronger, a little bit stronger offensive numbers. They're not crazy better, but they are better enough to give him that slot with the better wingers. And people still say, well, if you want, if you want to develop Kakanyemi, then you should put him in that role. And I agree with that. But the NHL is not here to, I don't think Ducharme or any coaches there to develop a player. They want to win. And especially this year when they were just holding on, holding on all year, that they couldn't take a shift off and say, we're going to give Kakanyemi some plump line minutes just to see if we can get him going. You know what I mean? So that was the crux of the article. And, um, and I also kind of alluded to the, what we were talking a bit before the, uh, before you started the recording of the podcast, which is when you look at the data, advanced analytics people at the end of the season, if Kakanyemi and Suzuki have the same data, just for argument's sake, on ice, uh, expected goals, uh, on ice goals for assists, all that stuff. If they were all the same, my eye test tells me, I still trust Suzuki more than I trust Kakinyemi because how they got to those numbers were a lot different. Suzuki is very well known as being someone who understands and controls the game. Late in games, he's, he protects the puck a lot better. Um, whereas Kakinyemi is a bit more of a wild horse where he'll make a crazy cross-ice pass, four minutes left in the game when you're up by one. You don't want to see that kind of stuff, right? So I, when I watch the game, I see a bit of that. Of course, he's a young player. Of course, he's going to do that. But uh, you choose the more predictable player over the less predictable player, in my opinion. Yeah, the safe play. The guy who does the safe thing more often, like uh, like Weber. They chose Weber over Subban because Weber, when he does his zone exits, 
he'll do a controlled pass or he'll just bank it off the boards and out. It, it's not, it's not sexy, but yeah. it's safe. Exactly. And, and I, I remember posting something last year, um, a, a clip of Suzuki. Um, it was like, there was like seven minutes left in the game and they were up by one goal. I don't remember the score, but they were up by one goal, the Habs. And he, he was with Anderson and I don't remember the other winger and they gained Suzuki gained the zone with the puck and he promptly slammed on his brakes and tossed it towards the net. And then he took his defensive decision as, as the center, a high defensive, almost as a third defenseman. Right. And I took that clip and I put it on Twitter and I said, this is what makes Suzuki. This is why coaches love Suzuki. It's because that is the appropriate play at that time in the game. You're up by a goal. You don't want to go deep and pass it back to the defenseman. You just want to play a little bit safe at that time of the game. And I remember I got some grief on that tweet. On that tweet, you know, people were like, "Ah, you know, that was a bad play because it was a lie. They could have could have went to the net and done something better with the puck. And yeah, he could have done something better offensively with the puck, but he sacrificed the offensive play for predictable, secure defense." I remember that play that was about 30 to 40 seconds into his shift. So had he taken that chance, he's already near the end of his gas tank for that shift. If he loses the puck, he has to chase it back. Now he's going to be completely gassed. So he made the safer play. Yeah. I mean, the data shows, and this is another thing about analytics, that the data shows that teams cannot score on the rush. If both your defensemen are back, that just never happens. When's the last time you saw play you, it just doesn't happen. So if you're armed with that kind of data, then that's exactly how the Habs play. They're like, they want their defensemen back and they want their center, like to know or someone, they want them to play very smart defense. That's the identity. Of the te- that's the identity of the team. And I think they lost out on a potential home run, getting rid of Kakanyemi, but they're bringing in a guy that is exactly that. Win the draws, you know, a veteran who's who's you know 25 year old veteran who's whose uh, reputation and statistics are continually going up plays the right the right way quote unquote that's why that second part of that tweet the second bullet is they're better now they probably are i think they are but you know if cocky Nami turns out to be barkov then they're going to regret regret that right yeah big time he's getting paid more than barkov <laughs> there you go <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think yeah, that's what do you guys a, think though? Like, what do you think? What do you think of that? Did you guys, what did you think of that analysis? If you read it, the, uh, the one curious case of cocking Emmy. I loved it. I really, I really enjoyed it. I, I think it, it didn't really, I like how it didn't take a side. It just kind of said, this is the way it is. You know what I mean? Like you either like it or you don't. Cause I mean, I don't know if you know of a certain cotton Emmy fan on Twitter named, named Manning, who yeah. is, and I mean, she's too, it's almost like the conservatives and the liberals. She's too far to the right when it comes to Cotton Yemi. And there's other people too far to the left who say he's going to be a bump. I actually think he's going to have a successful career as a winger in Carolina. I don't think he's going to be a center at all. But um, anyway, I, I liked how it went because it kind of says, you know what, Aaron, you, you have some good points. But did you consider this? Because her, her biggest argument was these line mates. Oh, he can't develop as all these line mates. And I used to argue with her. Who are you moving the line mates away from? You're not moving them away from Suzuki. You're not moving them away from uh, Deneau. And you should be glad that they're not putting Cotton Yemi on the fourth line. Like if he wanted consistent line mates, the fourth line was the place where he had to go. And they didn't do that. They said, no, you're a third line center. So the... The coaches had the confidence to say, yeah, you're a third-line guy, right? However, we don't really have any wingers for you, so we're just going to see what works. And yeah, if it doesn't work, we'll move on. So and yeah. The way you broke down the uh, his losing the battle to Suzuki and you used their, yeah. their performance against the quality of competition, I thought that was a, a very good uh, descriptive reason as to why he was where he was in the lineup. Yeah. I, 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 you, you hit the nail on the head. Suzuki took his spot. Like he got drafted to be the number one, number two center. Uh, Deneau at the time was going to be the 
for now, number one, even though he's number one center. And then they traded for Suzuki, and Suzuki right away pretty much, you know, the coaches fell in love with him, and they didn't fall in love with Cotton Yemi, and then you see what happened there. So, yeah, I, I, I like your story. I, I, I thought it was almost as good as one of mine. So, uh <laughs> Half the clicks, half the clicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the way you you used Puck IQ and then you threw in some of your your own uh, graphics and it showed graphically the difference in their outcomes against higher competition. Yeah, and and one of the revealing things was that he didn't do very well against the lower competition, right? which is a complete different style. You get thrown out there with Matt against Matt Martin and Clutterbuck and those guys. And it's just a different game for that 30 seconds. Right. And that's why that I would argue Trish that they couldn't use him as a fourth liner because he wasn't doing the fourth line stuff. Right. Or he, he, the stats were basically showing that that's not a good matchup. Oh, they, I, they I totally really, agree. My yeah. argument was if you want him to have consistent line mates, you're going to have to dump him on the fourth line and you're going to have to drop his minutes. Yeah, because those fourth line wingers weren't moving anywhere unless there's an injury or something. So, yeah, and this and this goes to your point, Blaine, about you know how much of it is on the player, right? And if he was if he was a second round draft pick or a third round draft pick, maybe he would have accepted that lower role a little bit better. I don't know. Uh, was there anybody at their, at his camp? I don't know his camp at all, obviously. And uh, telling him, dude, just go in as a fourth liner and put your nose down and just play a full season as a fourth liner. Like show him that you can dump the puck out and whatever. I know people don't like to hear that, but I mean, this is what Evans is doing. I don't mean to echo Bergevin's conference, but I mean, Evans is just showing that he can play that role. A guy that was drafted, yeah, but for a guy that was yeah, drafted so. in 2014, he played through the NCAA and now he's taken his licks in the AHL and finally made it to the NHL. And now he's starting to make a little bit of an impact. He's definitely taken licks in the NHL level. Absolutely. Oof, Hello, that was yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, but you know what? He's really, he's earned, he's earned the minutes. Absolutely. He's earned the minutes you, enough that they didn't go out and get the quintessential veteran fourth line center yet. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. And here's well, where yeah. that Canadian, Canadian attitude, right? Like classic Canadian grind them out. We like these stories. We yeah. love them. Yeah. yeah. The Habs also don't have the money right now. Well, I suppose they got 1.1 million in cap relief left with the Weber uh, LTIR, but um, I don't think they will get that uh, veteran center. I think they're going to go with, I think it'll be like what they did last year. They'll wait till around Christmas time and see where their centers are at. And then if they need to go get one, they'll go get one. Now this takes me to the second, uh, the second point um, that your belief that the Habs are better in the near term. And that is, that is definitely a point of view that we've all shared on this, on this podcast is that the subsequent trade for Dvorak, who unfortunately is going to be tied to the Kotkaniemi offer sheet now forever because he came in right after, how Dvorak makes this better. You kind of talked about it a little bit because you mentioned his defensive play in Arizona, his, being a face-off guy. Can you give us a little bit more on your view of Dvorak and what he'll bring? Yeah, for, first, we, you have to start with what's leaving, right? Um, and uh, again, I, I'm not here to bash Kakanemi whatsoever. I, I'm, I hope he does well, and I think he's going to be a good player. But he was an isolated player in Montreal for his time there. And if you just look at the impact, forget about the first round or forget about whether they're developing him, his impact in the lineup was not good. Right. So when you take a player whose impact is not good and you replace it with even an average player like Jordan Wheel, for example, <laughs> you're you're you should do better. Like you should do better. So, but obviously he's not really taking Kakinet. Dvorak's not taking Kakinemi's spot. He's taking Deneau's spot. And Deneau's spot, and I've been critical of Deneau as an overall player, but there's no there's no denying that that guy was part of one of the best five-on-five five lines in the past two years. There's no denying what he did in the playoffs was, I think, unbelievable. And so when he left, that's a massive hole. That's a massive five-on-five five hole that you're leaving. So 
when I'm saying they're better, I'm saying not that they're not better what they were when I went saying like a finals. I'm saying they're better having filled Deneau's uh, void. Because if they were filling that void with Kakinyemi, I think it would have been a big time struggle this year. Uh, unless he turns out to be, a, you know, that star who, who, who dominates. But at least they're replacing Deneau with someone who is getting first line minutes on, a, on another NHL team who plays against the tough competition, who does all the D zone starts, uh, face-offs. So they are least, you could, you might even argue he's the, he was the best available asset they could have got out there. Again, I'm no insider, so I don't know who's available, but if I look at getting a 25-year-old player who, who has spit out that kind of uh, deployment last year, I'm pretty happy with that. Especially on a team like Arizona, which wasn't a very good team. You know, like he was putting up good numbers on a bad team. So that, that, that's what I like to look at as well. <clears throat> yeah, I went back and forth. They almost yeah, yeah, the I went back too. Yeah, they did. And um, I'm going to go, I'm definitely going to go look at some tape, more tape. I did a little bit. I want to, I want to see, you know, a few games against good teams on every one of his shifts, just to see a little bit better understanding on where he plays. But uh, based on just the statistics and what I've seen so far, I mean, he had terrible line mates in, uh, in Arizona on the, like for the defensive draws on the offensive draws, he had Kessel quite a bit, looks like. Um, So and if you dissect, which I have in the past, Deneau's line, um, something that came through the numbers that I didn't really quite realize how valuable um, Gallagher is in the transition game. Like you watch him and you're like, how can this guy be good in transition? Because you're like, you think of smooth skating guys and guys that are carrying the puck, but he is super high percentage getting it out of the zone, getting it in the zone with, with um, uh, possession. And you put it, you put a guy who's really high in the league at doing that. And then you, you give him to Dvorak, who's not used to that. You're going to see his numbers come up big time, his defensive numbers, Dvorak. Now you, you did a comparison between Dvorak and Kotkaniemi using your wave Intel versus sheet. So if anyone's listening and you want to take a look, go to wave Intel, tap, uh, go to the versus sheet, check it out. It's a great tool. I've used it in some of my articles. It's a lot of help. Now you've gone through uh, deployment, individual stats, five on five. And, and Kotkaniemi actually comes out looking pretty good in a couple of areas, uh, especially five on five with the shot share and the goal share. So why would he look better there? Why would Dvorak be an upgrade if that's the case? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're deployed completely different, right? So you're going to get different uh it's not a really fair comparison um so when you're yeah your, your numbers come out a bit different those again the stats that i show in versus are raw stats right so you have to always look at in my opinion the team that they're coming from and the haves are one of the best possession teams uh in the league and they have been even when they have a rough patch their their underlying numbers look really good um so you know by association you can plug any winger in, Jordan Wheel, anybody in the Hab system, and you should be getting a pretty good readout hey, defensively for the on-ice numbers. We're talking about Jordan Wheel here. Come on. Yeah. He's KHL, <laughs> I keep super, going back to KHL superstar. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, he's just come off my tongue because, you know, he's, you know, he's the quintessential professional, very good hockey player. Like that guy is a great hockey player. You could plug him in any NHL team anytime you want right now, and he's not going to, he is not going to lose you. And, but your, your team, your team is always a bit of a weird microcosm uh, because you're trying to develop players and you're trying to test players. So you're putting up with a bit of below average performance, knowing that hopefully by the end of the season, you're going to get better. Uh, And that's why you play a guy like talking Yemi over wheel. But the reality is maybe, you know, if they would have played Jordan Wheel last year over Kakanyemi or the two years two years ago, they might have had a little might have had another win here or there. Who knows, right? Yeah, true. But uh, but back to the uh, you were mentioning raw stats on your verses and what what is it that we're we're missing here? Is it the level of competition? Yeah. So for yeah. So 
um, both the deployment, so whether they're, well, I mean, deployment is an umbrella, right? Whether they're they're put out there for the face-off, the ozone face-off, whether they're against the other team's best players. And that's what you're not really seeing on these raw stats of mine is, is that is that Dvorak was playing against other teams' top players and he was not given the quality of line mates to match. Whereas Kakinyemi is seeing lesser uh, quality, but he's also got less quality on his, on his uh, line mates as well. So, I mean, if you talk to analytics people, some people don't really care too much about the deployment side of things um, because they believe it washes out. And I think there's definitely a bit of that. And when it, when it washes out, they mean, you know, if you play 80% of the game against the other team's worst players, but then uh, you have to face, uh, you know, Stamkos at the end of your shift because the other coach is smart enough to, to get him out there at the right time, then you, that all kind of washes out. Um, but for me, I'm more on the side of deployments, much more important. Like I really feel you, you hear guys yelling on the bench in the NHL, right? Like get off. Cause they don't want a certain defenseman on <laughs> against certain lines. And, uh, you see a lot of that and the Habs are huge on that. So must be why everybody on my team tells me to get off the ice anytime I'm on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come back and fill up the water bottles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what would you expect from Dvorak this year? Kakaniemi aside, you know, he's with the Canes now. What would you expect from Kake, from uh, from Dvorak entering his first season with the Canadians? I think they're going to slide him in the Deneau role. And um, he's quickly going to become the coach's favorite guy on face-offs. Um, you're going to see him against the other team's best players. You're going to see him deployed for the D-zone face-offs. Um, but I do think they're going to support him with much better wingers. You're going to, I would guess, I would guess that Gallagher is going to be on his wing. Because yeah. he, he, he has made the comment that he, that he does well with a, um, a puck carrying winger. However, that would, for me, that would push kind of into Durant territory. But when you start talking defensive hockey, I don't really see that with Drew S. So it's going to be interesting to see who that secondary winger is going to be. So we could all probably agree that Gallagher is going to be the guy that's, that's, that's going to slot in on that one side. I think it's going to be Mike Hoffman. You got to have a, two good, you got to have a good, de, good defensive center, a fairly good defensive winger, and you're going to throw Hoffman out there to be protected by those. That's it, could, it could very well be. Well, with Dvorak not being, he's not, someone that carries the play he's more of a shooting no. center so having a Gallagher there for the transition like you mentioned Jason I always thought would be a very good fit there but for for the other side um, I would expect more of a playmaking winger so someone like Drew Wang would probably be a better fit there if he's up to the task yeah, yeah I, I'm really interested to see I think there's going to be obviously a period where they're they're getting used to each other and yeah. uh one thing I notice about Deneau that's very unique um, with him and his wingers is that he plays very low in the defensive zone and so do his wingers. So um, Deneau is not really classically getting it out of the zone per se over the blue line. He's deferring to, to Gallagher who then gets it over the line and they come up more as a unit. And when, when you mess up one of those wingers, I don't know if you noticed or you changed the uh, center, they get messed up. I remember when it was Kakanyemi. Who Kakanyemi played on the wing, right? With Dano in the playoffs. I'm trying to remember which was in it. It was all messed up because yeah. they do play a unique, the, the Dano line does play a unique brand. And it'll be interesting to see how Gallagher adapts to Dvorak. It'll be interesting to know if the coaches are pushing Dvorak in a more defensive role because it seems like he's just playing as a you know, he, he might be taking the defensive draws and playing against the best uh, players, but I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to see, I want to watch more tape on him if he's like a defense first hundred percent. And I just don't, I don't think so. So they might push him back into that role, whether he likes it or not kind of thing. Having watched a lot of uh, Coyotes games, mostly, you know, against the Kings and stuff. Uh, he has been used defensively quite a lot, but not exclusively. He, he, yeah. he was their, their main offensive driver at large stretches last year. So it's kind of a hybrid. 
he was kind of their jack yeah. of all trades guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. And as and as Jason yeah. alluded to, he was the guy you can win face off, <clears throat> go out. Doesn't matter who's on your wings. We need you to win that draw, whatever zone you're in. And they relied on that possession because like you had talked about earlier, Jason, uh, the Canadians are a gigantic possession team, but Arizona doesn't quite meet those numbers. So winning a face-off for them was a much bigger deal because they had a hard time regaining possession after that. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. That's, uh, and that was my big, uh, my big crit- criticism of Deneau. Uh, and I wrote an article a couple of years ago about this when people are saying this is, you know, Deneau, the Deneau line is the best line in the league. And I, and I said, wait a minute, you cannot be a premier center or even a premier line if, if you're only playing one part of the game, which is a huge part. Five on five part of the game is huge. But a lot of the best players are making up for all of their five on five with two or three minutes on the power play. Like the best centers in the league are doing that, right? So I'm not saying Dvorak's going to be in that group, but for sure, if he's giving you a good portion of that defense and then he's also contributing on the power play, that's pretty sweet. Treg, you had so, something? Yeah, what did you mean by MB did poorly or Berger did poorly with the macros? What what uh, exactly were you, were you saying for that one? Yeah, I just, I just think big picture, um, you know, and I, I tweeted it out this morning. I'm like, you know, you were awarded, as an organization, you were awarded a third-round pick three years ago, and this is where you are with it right now. I don't think anybody can evaluate that and say, well, well done, right? <laughs> from from who you chose, uh, and it's not even who you chose. You could have traded that pick, or you could have put Kakinyemi, um back to Finland for a couple of years. There are so many points in time where they could have done something better than they did now. Did he do, did he do well with what he was, what he, what he was faced with? My, I believe yes, but he put himself in that spot. Hmm. I just think there were many points there that could have, could have gone way better. So in, in overall, this is a failure. This to me, this is a failure. You didn't, you didn't strive to, to choose through it overall and, and end up like this. So quick question. Do you, th- do you believe that this was a development decision for Kakaniemi do you think you just saw the money and ran because if if we want to get in if we want to get into quality of wingers this would have been his best season to uh to succeed with the with the wingers that they have Deneau's out and the guy that you're really fighting for now for ice time is is Evans not Suzuki you could he could he could have really cemented that 2C yeah I know and again and whose fault is that I don't know, right? But, but um, anybody can look at $6.1 million and be like, shit, right? I, I see it more like that, not really a, a, a development issue. I know there have been development issues, but in terms of his decision, I think he just saw the money and ran. But yeah, for, for sure. I agree. This, and, this, and I mean, this I, would have been, this would have been his, I'm not going to say his coming out party, but this is, this would have been his, you know, show, show me what you can do season. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we all like Kakanyemi. And even if, if you were his, you know, his family, you'd be like, you want the best, right? And this is a short-time win, a short-term win, because you get the money. Like, if he gets injured or and his career is over, this is beautiful. He's $6 million. Uh, but I think that he's put himself – it's not all his fault. I think the Habs have done this, too, because they didn't do it properly. They didn't develop him properly. Maybe they should have put him on the wing, stay in Finland. Because they didn't develop them properly, this is the point where they were at. But I believe that, unfortunately, Kakanyemi's career could be bounced around now. Like, he really has to put in – he has to show that he's a top six – he has to show he's a top six center or a top line winger for Carolina to want to re-up on that. Absolutely. I, I actually just wrote an article on that uh, stating that this – could put him in a little bit of trouble because say he doesn't meet up to sit, say he's a, a third line winger, which it looks like he's going to be to start the season anyway. And he doesn't put up the numbers. He just, he's a 20 to 30 point guy. What's, what's making Carolina want to give him his qualifying offer of 6.1 million. You know what I mean? So they're like, well, no, we're not going to qualify you, put you to the UFA. Now someone's going to sign him. He's a third round pick. So someone's going to go, Hey, well, we can, 
Toronto's going to fix them. So they're going to they're going to go out and sign them, and they're going to fix them like they gave Galchenyuk. Uh, no, but jokes aside, now he's in the one and a half to two and a half million dollar range, which is what he would have been in, in Montreal. And then he's going to be like almost like a Galchenyuk. All right, he'll sign a one year deal with this team for one and a half to two million. Show me what you can do. And if he doesn't do it again, next, all right, UFA, next game, yeah. boop, boop, boop. Finally, he's playing in the KHL at 26 years old. And to me, I think, and you alluded to it, Matt, he would have been better off to sign the two and a half million with Montreal. Show me what you can do type contract. And then he's not held to this high expectations and pressure that he's going to be held to now. Like even in a small market like Carolina, they're going to expect something out of him if he's like the third highest player on the team, highest paid player on the team. So could you imagine all 15 fans out in front of Carolina, just (laughs) picketing that whole, that whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. He, he, he's, he's uh, shot his stability, not shot. I mean, he's really put his stability uh, in jeopardy and, uh, but maybe they don't care about that. Um, And sometimes maybe this is where the European thing comes in. And this is where a lot of this stuff comes in. Like maybe that's not that important. Like Marion Hosso bounced around and, and, but somebody, I think um, other NHLers have said this to me. I think if I remember exactly what they're, what it is, there's a very small percentage that are like, they, they stay with the team. They're the face of the team. They get the money, they get, they get the, um, um, you know, the support from the team. And some people like that. They want to stay in the same city. They want to be, you know, and he's kind of almost put that big time in jeopardy. And again, is it his fault? No, I think the Habs probably have more of a, uh, to blame on it, but this it's a bit too unfortunate, I think, in my opinion. Now on that, I mean, you see, we've seen uh, Deno leave. We've seen Katkinemi leave. Um, I mean, they say it's for better opportunities. Deno mentioned how he was going to be given more of a role, but he's got he's got Byfield and Turcotte and Velarde, uh, Anderson, Dolan, Lazat. They're all coming up, and they're going to be pushing him for jobs probably right away. And then KK leaves, and he's a third line left winger. Um, is it is it fair to say that? I mean, clearly the players have some fault, but there's something in the the underlying emotion of that. Like the team has some fault in that. Yeah, they don't want to pay him the money they want. In Dado's case, that's exactly what it was. He went to LA for five hundred thousand dollars more. It was all it was about money. But like Jason well, said, actually, like, I mean, I mean, Jason, I you were pointing out the whole supports and everything. I mean, we're talking about a player who grew up in the area. His family's all there. There's a lot to be said about playing near home. And he, he just decided to move. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the other side of it is like you really have to make hay, right? The careers are short. You don't know when it's going to end through injury and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I definitely don't begrudge these guys. It's, I guess it's the fan side that you kind of hope for that and you kind of want that, right? And, uh, and but those kind of days are a little bit gone. I mean, it happened the same thing with Shea Weber. Man, I, I, Shea, I don't want to get into this now, but when I saw Shea Weber his first six months, first year on the Habs, like I, I saw a guy that was kind of gutted. I, I just thought he was, he thought he was going to be in Nashville this, that whole time and they went to the finals that year, right? And, you know, is it Poyle's fault? Is it Nashville's fault? Is it, it's everybody's fault because he's, he also signed that crazy deal, right? Um, but at the same time, I, I wonder if an organization under, like takes that impact into account. You're trading for a guy that doesn't, you know, it's going to take him six months to, to uh, adjust. He might... I think it's a big deal when you trade a hired gun who's not going to be part of the organization moving forward. Like you can look at a guy like Carey Price. It's like when people want him traded and all that kind of stuff. I don't like that. I, I look at this guy as this is a franchise guy and it's more than just wins here and there. It's hopefully he becomes a part of the organization moving forward. He, he probably doesn't want to, but you know, like whatever capacity, but you start changing guys in and out like they're nobodies. I, I don't like that feeling either, you know? We're old school though, Jason. We're used to like a uh, guy staying on a team for majority of their career and just signing with another team in the last 
Twilight, like Larry Robinson when he went to LA or uh, uh, Guy Lapointe when he went to St. Louis. And you know what I mean? Like we're used to them yeah. spending 10, 15 years with the same team. And it's just at the end of the career where the team knows they're pretty much done, but they don't know. So they go and sign with another team just to get that extra couple of years in. Um, it's not like that today. Today's market's not uh, the, the salary cap has things to do with that. Uh, yeah. uh, it's it's just not the way it is now. It's very rare to see a guy like Carey Price or Drew Doughty or Alex Ovechkin who are going to play their entire career with the same the same team. It's, or, it's just or Guy Lafleur who leaves gets the gets into the Hall of Fame and then comes back three years later playing for teams like New York and then <laughs> Quebec City. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. That was a gag reflex. Anytime I think of the Nordiques, I just want to throw up. But then again, in Gila first case, you can look back at the fact that uh, there was a lot of reasons why he retired from the Canadians that weren't uh, play related. It was more political. So, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's 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 different nowadays to watch be a fan of a player, and that's what you find a lot. People's like Kotkaniemi and the, the person I mentioned earlier, they're upset because their favorite player got traded. Well, today's day, don't expect your favorite player to stay on the team forever because it's not going to happen. I mean, my favorite player yeah. is Patrick Wall. Look what happened there. So uh, it's yeah. you're either... devastating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in the case of Kotkaniemi as well, and I mean, if you think you had a number one center here, and I, obviously they were forced to evaluate, make an evaluation within a week. They didn't want to do this. There's no way they did. And, and Bergevin said they did, they did not. They wanted more time to make their evaluation. But they had to come to the evaluation. And obviously, they came to the evaluation that he was not going to be that star center uh, or that the chance of it was really small. And when you're building an organization, I think that's also a part of it, which is you can't, if you had three number one centers, you really couldn't keep them anyway. So you need to try to make hay when you can Again, did Bergevin want to make hay last week? No, he should have done it earlier or he should have developed him really well and then traded him or do your Pittsburgh model with the two crazy good centers. But there's just not enough room on a team to have all these. If you've got a star, you've got a star defenseman, you've got a star goalie, a star forward. I think Suzuki, they, they, they know. They're going to have to pay big bucks for this kid and they've already got that allotted for him now. So even if Kakinemi was going to be a huge star, like they probably wouldn't be able to keep both of them. Uh, I read this book called um, uh, Late Greats or something like that. It was, it was about this, uh, the guy in Columbus, one of the writers in Columbus, this is like 15 years old now. And he followed the, the, um, uh, the drafting table for Columbus uh, for the whole year, all the scouts. And he wrote, it was a really good book. I got to find it and I'll send it to you guys. The name of it. Anyway, it was really cool because I had all these insights of the assistant GMs and the GMs and the co and the, the scouts. And even before they're scouting them, let alone draft them, they're already pegging them to the future. Do we want this guy to be the face of our franchise? You know, um, and things like, you know, are they from here? Uh, what kind of attitude do they have? Are they going to gamble? Are they going to coach or, or whatever? All these kinds of stuff. And they make decisions based on that more than I think we we know, right? And this is why the draft is crazy. They draft their preference over somebody else because they there's something they see in those guys that they want. And obviously, potentially, they didn't see the signals of that on Kakinami to the point to the level that they wanted to. And they're obviously seeing it in some other players. They have. How important do you believe Suzuki's gonna be this season, especially with uh Dvorak coming in, you lose Dano, you lose Kakaniemi, and of course it's being his RFA year. It's a contract season for him. Yeah, I think they're going to, I mean, I love the kid. I think they're going to drive him like mad. And to, to, to Blaine reading the, the, uh, the points there, that number two point, they're better. The point I made that they're better now also goes back to some of the data, which is they weren't giving Suzuki all the plump spots because they had to give some to Kakaniemi. So now that shelf is done and they, in theory, they can give even more uh, advantageous ice to Suzuki. And so you might see his numbers come up a little bit uh, five on five. 
he needs to get better on the face-off circle. Like he, he really does. needs to, and and it'll, it'll show this year if if he. I hope he doesn't take a step back, uh, but that could be a barometer for his off-ice training to see how much he improves on the face-offs because they would use him a lot more. Um, but you might see Dvorak take some of those offensive zone face-offs if Suzuki can't get it up, can't get the uh, percentage up. Who do you see uh, on the on the penalty kill? I know you're a big Armia fan, so I, I know you see him on the penalty kill, but... Do you think Evans has uh, stepped up enough to, uh, or Dvorak or Suzuki? Do you think they're they're going to be enough to replace Deneau on that uh, penalty kill? Yeah, I think they have lots there. I think they probably have too many uh, good uh, PKs. I, I've been critical of the PK; it hasn't performed very well. But they do have the pieces there, especially on uh, on forward. Um, so I do see Dvorak going to be a big they're just going to go to the well with him on the on the um draws unless for some reason suzuki fits in there but um evans draws have been excellent as well so they, those two guys are going to be the primary i believe on the uh, pk and uh obviously you're going to see lekanen and uh, armia and byron if he's around i mean i think evans evans's numbers statistically we're very good penalty killing. I, I and the eye test. I don't know if you what you guys thought of. I thought I I, I really liked what he did on the PK. And then Armia, oh. I, my opinion, Armia is he's like top top penalty killer in the NHL. He's one of the top top ten. You say it on your on your podcast. He's <laughs> one of the top ten penalty killers in the NHL. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> He, the guy, that guy's board work and strength is, it's off the charts. I just, he does, when he does not want to, when he's concentrating and he's, you know, if it's a playoff or a big game, he does not lose battles on the, on the boards. He won't lose a puck battle like that guy. Okay. Uh, you guys got anything else? I mean. Yeah, well, oh. we're sticking to, sticking to, um, sticking to the PK. Um, what about the power play this year? You, you bring in Dvorak, who can now, say, fill in a, say, a 2C role in the power play. Bring in Hoffman. You've got a full season of Caulfield. What do you think is going to happen with the power play? I think uh, the power play should be, if, if it's going to click, it's going to be Suzuki and Caulfield. I mean, I don't know how, I haven't been this excited for a duo in Montreal. Like, I honestly don't remember when. I'm trying to think of a duo uh, that could be that dynamic. Um, like they haven't, they've had one-offs that were really good. They had some really good, you know, even with uh, Ribeiro and some of the crazy plays he made and back then, but, and Markov was fantastic, but a duo like this can be lethal, especially if they have Hoffman as a, as a, a third spot. Um, that can give you a secondary uh, option there. I mean, that's what I'm looking. I'm just totally looking at those two guys. It should run, the power play should run through Suzuki and finish with Caulfield. <laughs> <laughs> right? And the, the defense should be there just as decoy. Yeah. Like, um, uh, obviously, Petrie is going to get, you know, again, addition by subtraction. I love Weber, and he, his stats are actually good on the power play. I just don't think he just, it's 2 1 dynamic. And with him not there, I think the power play should be more dynamic. It kind of forces their hand. Yeah. It will, yeah. And and just just the Caulfield and Suzuki, the um, confidence that they should have gotten in the last six months, a year more, like they're they're caught they're they have a cockiness about them. You don't see them. They don't look to be like kind of fragile psyche kind of which which is pretty rare in the nhl anyway but they look to be those the top end performers that want the puck that want to make the plays and uh what they should do if i have one other criticism with the habs and their power play is they should go to the well with those guys like they should treat caulfield and suzuki like uh ovechkin and uh backstrom obviously People are going to give you heck for me saying this on your podcast. I'm not saying that's who they are, but they should be deployed that way. If they're giving you the best chance, don't take, don't let them play 
half the power play. And that's what I see in the stats. They don't push the top power play guys enough like the other teams do. They got to give them more ice. I'm I'm waiting for I'm waiting for that overhead shot with Caulfield just standing there all by himself with his stick, and then you're like, well, you, you know what's going to go to him? Why don't you defend him? And then he just blasts yeah. it past the goalie. I'm waiting for that Ovechkin moment. Aren't you excited? Aren't you guys excited? Though? I can't I mean, wait. Yeah. I can't wait for I mean, a full season. I, I did another tweet the other day about about scouting. It's like scouting is so hard, you know. Um, <laughs> Matt, it was it was you, Matt. You 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 sent out a tweet about uh, Shipashev or what's the name? Yeah, uh, yeah. Shipashev, yeah. and you're like, how is this guy not in the NHL? And I was gonna retweet your tweet, but I just did a separate tweet. Yeah. And because I saw that goal, and the first thing I thought was he had so much time. Like honestly, anybody could do that. I'm not. I was. I didn't want to track yeah. your tweet, but yeah. it made me. It made me tweet <laughs> that the biggest challenge between those guys the guys in the KHL that can do that kind of stuff in the NHL is you just do not have, you have nothing close to that time. And, and that's what I love about Caulfield. And that's what I love about Suzuki. Suzuki is all about deception. It's coming off the stick in a weird way. And he's passing. He looks like he's passing one way. He's passing the way. And Caulfield is just that guy's lightning, lightning hands. And and it's not just about shooting. It's about passing and moving. He's just, he, he can execute so fast. Haven't seen anybody like that in Montreal. Not, Andy, not since. The uh, the puck. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he can put the puck in anywhere. Like he has a hole this big and he'll put the puck through it. Yeah. <laughs> like we haven't yeah. seen a shooter like that wearing a Habs uniform since uh, Riche. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And yeah. I know I, I ran into Riche not long ago. He was in Halifax for. Um, for some stuff and he said yep shoots like me hopefully he scores as much too <laughs> yeah yeah well yeah, hopefully he scores is... more consistently than Riche did <laughs> i'll take a i'll take a 40 50 goal scorer for a few years that'd be fine yeah all right uh before <clears throat> before we uh we let you go jason uh boys you got any any last questions did uh, Carolina offer sheet out of revenge, or did they really want Kakiyami? <laughs> I think it was out of revenge, but I mean, you can have both, right? It, yeah. They obviously thought that this is a really, you know, good opportunity, and uh, they had the cap space, right? And uh, now, now they've got that year, right, to see whether it's a lottery ticket or not, right? So it's just passing the lottery ticket around, in my opinion. Matt? For me, that's everything. Just thanks. To the, you know, I just want to say thanks a lot for uh, for being on our show. As always, you're welcome to you're welcome to join us anytime. Thanks, boys. I love talking hockey with you, especially being uh, moved down here uh, in Kenya. I need uh, I need to do this a little bit more often. Yeah. So you haven't run into the Kenyan ice hockey team, the one that was on the Tim. No, Horns but I know I know the guys down here, and I know Johnny Oduya was down here. Uh, a couple months ago, so I definitely will uh, hook up with them when they come back down next time. Well, we want to see pictures. We will. I'll do it for sure. <laughs> Especially you playing hockey with the boys. I will. I will. I, I, I saw the rink. It's like this little square thing. It's not even round in the corners. <laughs> oh, no, really? So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I brought my equipment and I brought my kids' equipment, so uh, we'll definitely be out there. I'll send some pics. Be great. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been amazing. We covered a ton of stuff and we could have probably done another couple hours, but I know it's, it's about, well, from Halifax, it's six hours ahead of us. So you've got more to do today. So we won't take up any more of your time. Um, for everyone who's listening, thank you for listening. Uh, we appreciate that. Uh, Jason, why don't you give them, a, give them an idea of where they can find your stuff? Yeah, I've got a website. It's uh, waveintel.org, and that's where I have some tools to uh, pop out some really good analytics uh, images, and you can share them on uh, on your social media. You can find me at waveintel on Twitter, and uh, now that the season's coming, I'll be bashing out some more tweets for sure. A few boys. Thanks for <laughs> having me, eh, guys? Anytime. Love, love chatting hockey with you guys. We're, we're just happy that you found the time since you've been this big guy, a big-time TSN guy to come back on. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> Anytime. You guys launched me, so there we go. Yeah. 
Well, actually, it was Dylan. No, I, I, Dylan here thought he was going to be angry at me. No, it wasn't you guys. It was Dylan, Habstition. He's uh, oh, right. his podcast. Yeah, he's another good follow. He is absolutely. Yeah. Um, but thanks again for coming on. And uh, if you guys are talking about it, so are we. Do you have a problem getting big city slams? Are you not getting the gains at the gym? Well, don't mortgage your future on rental supplements. Get Bergie Arms. Bergie Arms will get you the gains you need. Bergie Arms gets rid of all the bad attitude and builds better character so you can get the gains you need. Get Bergie Arms. Bergie Arms. Bergie Arms. Today. Not a real project. They make you trade your favorite player for a mountain man. Do not use... If you're healthy, if you want to loyalty, buy a dog. Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.